One other benefit of sharing some of these stories is hopefully it'll whet your appetite. If you haven't signed up and you're not going to go to the course that Nigel's going to, go to the prayer one. Because God answers um, prayer. And so as we were praying particularly for um, ISIS and uh, Saudi Arabia and countries that we've prayed into before, one of the things that really just amazed me, I know I, I teach this stuff, but I get surprised sometimes as well, was that just within you know, that evening and into the next day, people who are actually at that prayer gathering who are working in those countries, in those places, were getting text messages saying, you know, you wouldn't believe it. We, um, I had a dream from God. Some of these people they'd known for years. They hadn't had any particular interest in having conversations about God before. But they were getting dreams and saying, hey, when you get back, any chance we can meet up and talk about God? It was also just great just to see that the way that just God uh, just turned up and healed people. I said when I, when I went away, that I'm aware that a lot of people that come to this prayer gathering, this might be the only time they have any interaction with other Christians. They live in very remote places. Um, and so this opportunity that you have, even on, um, today at the end of this meeting, we will have a time when if you want to receive prayer for anything, you can come forward. And I don't know about you, I sometimes take that for granted. Uh, or you can go to a life group and get it. Some of these people, they might get it once or twice a year. So not surprising, lots of people are hungry and anticipating. And lots of things got, got healed. But one of the stories that particularly uh, stuck in my mind, partly just because it just blew my mind, but also in the sense of just growing, whatever area we're in, just growing in, in prayer, was uh, I met a man who he, he'd done his shouldering and um, he'd had an accident 10 years before and he'd been in pain for, for 10 years. And as I kind of came to um, pray for him, I asked what had happened. He'd been involved in a car accident. And I just had this little thought go through my head. Because normally I'm just going to get into prayer mode. You know, like, let's pray. Let's just ask God to heal this. But I just had this thought go through my head, which was, um, I think sometimes when people have accidents, being involved in trauma, sometimes it causes pain, not just physical, but emotional. And if they don't let go of that then for whatever reason, they won't get healed. So I just said to this person, I said, it might sound strange, but people have said this to me before. Maybe as part of just praying for your shoulder, maybe just ask God, you know, maybe release forgiveness on that person who was involved in the car accident. So the man said to me, well, I've done that many times. You know, I've forgiven the, the other lorry driver that was involved, and that's in the past. So I said, okay, that's fine. Let's just, let's just pray. And so we were praying, and within a few minutes, he just started crying. And he prayed for, he was crying for maybe four or five minutes. And I kind of said to him, what's happening? And uh, he said to me, you know, when you said about forgiveness, I was just mulling that over in my mind. And um, I just realized that I was just angry. Everybody had blamed me for the accident, and it wasn't my fault. And so I said to him, maybe just give that over to God. So he just gave that over to God. And as soon as he did that, he turned to me and said, the pain in my shoulder is gone. You know, 10 years. And it was just gone. And so it just kind of, it just kind of blew my mind. It was like, oh yeah, I forget these things. <laughs> so if I ask you questions when you come forward for prayer, that'd be the reason. Uh, and then just one other story I wanted to share. Like I said, I have a whole list of stories. You want to hear more, get on the mailing list. Um, but when you're in this kind of environment, you start hearing stories. So often when you talk about Muslims, you get all these kind of negative and fearful stories all floating around, um, certainly in the media. Um, I don't get that many 
because I hear some of the great stuff that God's doing. But one of them particularly stuck in my hair, which just challenged me, and this is probably why I'm sharing it. One is a great story, but it's a challenge to me, and hopefully it will be a challenge to you as we try to outwork kind of leading our communities uh, into life, be it Winchester or the surrounding areas. And uh, it was a story um, of a country I love, obviously, being in, in Egypt. And as a Christian girl got into a taxi, and she got into a taxi with a... The taxi driver was a fundamentalist Muslim. Um, you can tell them quite easily just by the way they dress and their big beards. And as she kind of got into the back of this and taxi, she kind of had this little voice, this passing thought going through her head, where she felt God say, say to this person, Jesus loves you. And she's like, no, I can't do that. I mean, that's, in that situation, it could be dangerous to say that. So she said, like, God, I'll say God loves you. And, uh, and God said to her, no, you need to say Jesus loves you. And so she's going, no, I need to say God loves you. You know, that's a little bit less uh, dangerous to say. So she's having this battle in her mind. I don't know if you ever have these battles. And um, anyhow, she kind of arrived at where this person was going to drop her off. And uh, she thought, right, I've got enough courage. What I'm going to do, because in, kind of, in that kind of context, you get out and you pay through the window. And then you can make a runner <laughs> if you want to. And so she thought, well, I'm just going to stop give him the money and just say, Jesus loves you, and quickly go. So she gave him the money and said, Jesus loves you. And he said, stop. Can I speak to you? We get back in the taxi. And in her mind, like, this could be well dangerous. Um, seriously, it could be well dangerous. But she looked around and thought, this is a crowded street, and it's the daytime. I take the risk. So she got into the, the taxi, and, and this fundamentalist Muslim said, I've had four dreams from God where he's come to me and revealed to me Jesus. Last night, I had another dream, and God turned up, and he said, I want to tell you again that Jesus loves you. And the way it's going to happen this time is, you're going to have a girl get into your taxi. You know it's going, aren't you? And uh, she's going to be so scared, she's going to wait to the last minute when she gives you the money to tell you that Jesus loves you. He said, Jesus loves me. How do I follow him? And uh, so that's just great. And so I share that both as an encouragement. But again, as you, I don't know, I have these thoughts go through my head sometimes. And I'm like, do I say that? So be an encouragement. But if you want to have more information, um, more stories, speak to me afterwards. Thank you for your prayers. More and more I realize the importance and need uh, for prayers. But God is at work. God is moving. Be it across the side of the world or be it here or out in the streets. So we're going to be starting a new um, series today. Can we get the first slide up, please? It's always really hard to see from this side. <laughs> and, uh, and you're thinking, I hope this slide goes up what I'm talking about. Uh, we're going to be doing a series talk called Walking with Jesus, Money, Sex, and Power. And um, I'm going to be sharing particularly on money, but just sharing a kind of backdrop of why we're going to be talking about this. So when Nigel asked me, I thought, wow, there's a well-known book called Money, Sex, and Power. Ta-da. I just went and picked up a copy. And um, I've known it for years because we often do it. I can't remember David, who was leading worship, where we did it as part of the internship. Um, but it's a great book because it kind of touches on a number of different issues. As we seek to follow Jesus and walk with him, um, there's many things that kind of get in the way that sometimes limit us or affect us. And particularly um, historically, sadly, when it comes to leadership, some of the issues that have kind of tripped people up and stopped them entering into all that God has for them 
is money, sex, and power. So when I thought I'd kind of look at the introduction, I was at home, so I didn't have the book in front of me, so I just thought I'd type in money, sex, and power, uh, and it'll give me like a little nice summary just to kick off this series. But then I realized there's another book that's come out called Money, Sex, and Power. And um, written by an American theologian pastor called John Piper. And his kind of introduction to his book is a little bit long. I'm going to read it to you. It's going to come up. Uh, but I thought this is a great summary, both in relation to what we're covering, but why are we covering it? If you ever heard me speak before, one of the things I really like to kind of emphasize is we don't just sit here and think as a leadership team, well, that was a nice topic. We try to press into God's heart. We try to press into what's the vision we feel that God has for this church. You know, even with the compassion stuff, to lead our, our communities into life, to bless them, to see them transformed. And when we look at this issue of money, sex, and power, this kind of really relates into it. So just to, I'm going to read through it. It's going to come up just to make it a little bit easier. It's in two big sections. And um, when he talks about his book, I'm going to change the word, this series. And and I just did it verbatim, just because I couldn't say better. God did not conceive and create money, sex, and power simply to be a temptation. He had good purposes in mind. Money, sex, and power exist for the greater aim of God in human history. Or God in the history of Winchester and the surrounding areas as we outlive it. They are not detours on the path to God's exalting joy. Along with the rest of God's good world, they are the path. With them, we can show the supreme worth of God. And this is what it's about. One of the hearts of us as Winchester Vineyard is we want people to see how amazing and fantastic God is. So that's why we're twitching on it. Therefore, the approach I or we will be taking in this series is to pursue the potentials of money, sex, and power, as well as the pitfalls. What are the dangers that need to be defeated? What are their potential? What needs to be deployed? Obviously, it's this book. The main thesis of this book has two parts. And maybe the main kind of thesis of what we are seeking to share and speak about over these coming weeks is, firstly, that money, sex, and power, which began as God's good gifts to humanity, have become dangerous because all human beings have exchanged the glory of God for money, sex, and power. What was meant to be used has become our focus. Secondly, that money, sex, and power will be restored to their God-glorifying place by the redemption that God brought into the world through Jesus Christ, the great liberation of creation from all sin and sickness and sorrow. If you know John Piper, he uses very kind of colorful and flowery language, but really just this idea that money, sex, and power, rather than the way that's traditionally been taught as kind of this thing that will trip us up, and it can trip us up, is also something that we can use, that can bring transformation, that can bring change, that can bring the reality of God's kingdom, his joy, his peace, his restoration, and the list goes on, into the, our lives and into the lives of those that we interact with. And then one just more, it's kind of long. But, uh, all of this, God's original plan, was ruined by the fall, by us choosing to do our own thing, by the first great folly of exchanging God for other things. When God is restored as the supreme value of the human heart, money, sex, and power begin to find their God, their glorifying place in life, rather than they are the center of our lives and our focus. They become what they were meant to be, which are instruments to be used in God's hands to bring so, so much more. Everything hangs on what we value as supreme. What is our highest treasure? What is our greatest satisfaction? 
when God takes that place in our minds and our hearts, in our thoughts and our emotions, then money, sex, and power begin to find their true and beautiful order. And that's what we want to do in this series. We want money, sex, and power to find their true and beautiful order. This new ordering of life with God's glory at the center turns out to be the most satisfying to our souls, most beneficial for the world, and most honoring to God. We are satisfied, the world is served, and God is glorified. That is what money, sex, and power are made for. And this is what this series is about. So I know it's a bit kind of long-winded, but when I read that, I thought, wow, that is what we're doing. This is what it's about. We are ultimately satisfied in God. The world that we dearly want to serve is served. So I'm going to be speaking about, um, so that's why we're doing the series. don't know if Nigel will use that quote again, but that's why we're going to be doing it because of those reasons. This is what it's about. That's how it fits in. And this morning I'm going to start, I think Nigel's going to do at least one or two more talks in relation to money. It's the first time I've spoken about money, and in some ways it's maybe to my, my shame. I've been speaking for a long time, and I haven't spoken on it. I was reflecting. It's kind of a topic that I have backed off. But when you look at Scripture, I think there's like over 1,500 verses in the Old Testament and the New Testament on money, on finance. If you look at the life of Jesus, and we're talking here about walking with Jesus, I don't know about um, anybody else, but my desire is to be more and more like Jesus. And if you look at what Jesus taught on, two-thirds of his parables talked about money. If I hadn't had the kind of the punchline at the beginning, like we're doing a series on money, sex, and power, I would have just thrown out those quotes and said, you know, what do you think I'm going to talk on? And I suspect people might have said things like, you know, the kingdom of God, or, or prayer, or sharing Jesus. But no, Jesus spent so much time and effort talking about the subject of money because he knew how important that was for us and in relation to seeing God's transformation come. And so I apologize again for not, for not talking about it. I guess in some ways it's a, it's a difficult subject. You know, it's, it's delicate. You know, everything we, we see and we do and all the ministries that we, we talk about it be... Uh, and, um, compassion, or you're going to go to the back and you see some of the, the leaflets. We, we can't do any of this without money. You know, the cups of teas and coffees you had, which actually makes me want one, but <laughs> I'm a bit dry. Uh, that, that doesn't just grow on trees to kind of state the, you know, the, 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 the obvious. You know, things run because of money, and we kind of know about that, but in some ways we don't want to uh, talk about it. It's difficult. It came across even um, two or three weeks ago. We, we, we had a morning where we were just sharing about some of the different people we support as a church overseas. We talked about Johnny and Beth in Tajikistan and then Larissa and Ned in Brazil and, and Katie and myself and the stuff we do with, uh, with, with Muslims. And uh, Nigel very kindly at the end just shared about, you know, again, we like to hear the stories. We like to see what's happening there. But that just doesn't just happen. Um, involves money, involves commitment, involves choices where we, we put it. 
And that's why we want to touch it, because it's important. If we want to grow individually as, as a, and as a church, we need to speak about subjects like this. These are real subjects. These are hard subjects. These are literally subjects that affect our pockets, shall we say. And, um, but it's part of what it means to follow Jesus. I think I also find it hard just because um, Kate is here so she can vouch for it. Um, you know, we talk in different times in this church about different things we find difficult and different things we find easy. And often I share stories about um, healing and going up to people and praying for them. I talk about doing stuff amongst Muslims. And for most people, it's like, wow, that's scary. That's, that's you know, that's difficult. And for me, uh, it, it isn't. But when it comes to money, then you're talking. Thank you, Joe. Um, When you talk about money, that's a completely different subject for me. Uh, that's the subject, you know, I find, I find really, really hard. You know, earlier on we were talking about, we were singing about going through the valley of death and kind of God being with us. And I don't know what can enter your mind. You know, there is a high possibility in a few weeks' time I'll be overseas and probably the most dangerous country I've been to since I was a child. And um, for most people, that is literally a valley of death. Literally thousands of people have died in that area over the last few years. But, you know, when I start thinking about value of death, I don't think about that. I think about, how am I going to get the finances to get to that country? That's kind of my mindset. So when I talk about this issue of, of kind of money, it's kind of very, it's very personal, it's very real to me. This, you know, this is an issue, you know, we were talking about sozos earlier. I've probably had more sozos relating to money than anything else, <laughs> to be honest. You know, just, you know, part of my upbringing, you know, my parents worked overseas, my parents um, lived what's called by faith, not by suggestion, as my parents used to say. You know, literally nobody knew. Everything was a hand down. I'm, I'm the youngest child. Everything, uh, you know, is being handed down to me <laughs> secondhand. I remember when I returned from Colombia, it's still very vivid in my, in my mind. When I came back from Colombia at the age of 11, and we went to a, it was a bit like Compassion, kind of storehouse, but we tend to try to give the best. In those days, it was literally leftovers. And, uh, and I still remember, you know, I, got every, I get everybody's leftover. And even sometimes when it comes to, you know, living overseas, you know, I'm, I'm depending on what people give to me. And sometimes in my mind, I kind of like, this is what people have left over. I'm the person that gets what's left, left over. And so I, I still kind of struggle with it. And Katie's the opposite. Katie's like one of the most generous people. And <laughs> it's probably one of the biggest strains in our marriage, whatever. I'm kind of like clinging on. <laughs> I don't know where my next bit of money's going to come from. <laughs> I'm very generous with my time. She's going to lie. I'll just give it all away, you know. Wow, somebody just gave us some money to help us go overseas. Who can we give it to? I'm like, this is for me. <laughs> uh, and so this is going to be very real uh, and subject, and it's hard. And for some of you, again, it'll be, diff- it'll be different. It does not to do with how much money you got. Um, it's to do with an attitude. It's to do with a fear. And it's something very personally I'm, I'm constantly um, I'm pushing into. But we need to grow. Lastly, we need to grow in this area, and this is why this, even this bit about money is important. Um, because we live in a world, you know, we talk about leading our communities into life, and that means a whole load of different things. But you don't have to go very far in talking and relating with our communities to realize that money is a huge issue. It doesn't just have to be debt. There's a whole load of people like me around who are struggling, who are constantly got fear. I've got Jesus. I'd hate to imagine what they have. I, can, I have to keep laying this at Jesus' feet. So when we were singing the song, this is why I'm laying at Jesus' feet. Come and hold my hand financially, God. I, I have that. They don't have that. 
Uh, and, and they don't have this truth and some of the stuff that Nigel and I are going to be pressing into the ne- in the next few weeks. They're not going to have it unless we share it. And we're not going to sh- be able to share it and relate it to them if Nigel and I and people, I don't know who else is doing it, um, it speaks on these areas. This is really kind of nuts and bolts when it comes to leading our communities into life. All they have to teach them is what the media kind of communicates. That's quite a, slightly scary, isn't it? If you listen to the media and what they kind of say, this is what is valuable, this is what's important, this is what you should spend your money on. That, that's scary. But if that's the only message they're going to get, unless somebody else gives them a different message. So this talk is about, not just about ourselves, this talk is about leading our communities into life. This is about sharing Jesus, being real with those around us. So we're just going to read a couple of passages um, again, I'm always trying to model what I teach, and um, um, must be about a month ago, I did a particularly challenging talk. If you haven't listened to it, listen to it. As part of it, I said, one of the things that we call to as a church is not just to worship with uh, our heads, I mean, sorry, with our, with our hearts, but also with our heads. So I deliberately chose some passages which are a little bit more difficult as a way of churning through them. So we're going to start by reading a, a, one of the parables. I said two-thirds of Jesus' parables uh, our own money, but I decided to go for a harder one. We're going to go and think called the parable of the talents, and Katie's going to read it, so you don't hear my voice all the time. Okay, you can read. This is going to be Luke 16, verses 1 to 16. I'm going to put up... The, yeah, the shrewd manager. What did you say? Oh, sorry. No, sorry. Parable of the shrewd manager. Yeah, the parable of the talents would be a lot easier one to do. These are the last eight verses, but Katie's going to read the whole lot. So it's Luke 16. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be a manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, How much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Like I said, I could have gone for an easier passage. In some ways, I avoided that passage for years, and <laughs> to be honest, because uh, it's complicated. But the idea there is not to kind of follow the example of the, the steward. He's not encouraging us to um, be dishonest, but he's kind of going at a deeper, uh, a larger issue. It's important as you look at that passage to know who that Jesus is addressing it to. Jesus is talking to his disciples, those who say that they are following Jesus. In kind of applying this story uh, and this parable to our life, Jesus begins by saying about, and you can see in verse 8, for the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus is kind of making a contrast in this parable between the sons of the world, those who kind of would not follow Jesus, and the sons of light, those who are believers, those who are saying that they are wanting to follow Jesus. And it's just challenging because he says, you know, unbelievers are often wiser in the things of this world than believers about what's going to happen. Once the unjust steward kind of knew what was about, that he was about to be put out, he was doing all he can to maneuver himself, put himself in debt, others to be, be in debt to him. And he did so by cheating his master. He made friends of his master's debtors who would then be obligated to care for him once he lost his job. So what's this verse got to do with us? Well, let's look at verse 9. And it says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. I'm reading from a different kind of translation but the theme is still there in the background. Jesus is encouraging his followers to be generous with their wealth in this life, with eternity in viewpoint. He's talking about us laying down our treasures. You get this theme again in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is some teaching we find in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. He's exhorting us to, you know, what's the treasures we have and how can we give them over to God? You know, the term unrighteous or worldly wealth might seem to kind of turn me off and in some ways it turned me off for a while it's like what does it mean what does it look like I'm trying to be righteous and here it's talking about unrighteous wealth and you can interpret it in many different ways it can be you could talk about unrighteous wealth as a way that you try to acquire that wealth in an unrighteous way it could be the attitude the mentality how you your kind of attitude towards money or it can be the way that wealth can sometimes lead people to commit unrighteous acts. And what Jesus is trying to convey is one of being a steward rather than an unjust one. The key point I want to pick up is that we are called to be stewards. This steward obviously did it in an unrighteous way. And he was going to commend it for it. How much more as we as followers of Jesus, that we are righteous stewards we are stewards right at the end Jesus challenges us says you can't serve 
to your masters. You have to make a choice. It goes back to that quote I gave right at the beginning in relation to John Piper. It's like wealth can be something that kind of captivates you and holds you, and it's like you're God. Or it can be something that you can place in the hands of God and say, God, use this. I want to be a righteous steward. I'm thankful for what you've given me. How can it be used for your glory? How can it be used for eternal benefits? Could be moving. Comes up weird. Yeah, lessons. It's one of the key things that we get from this passage, and there's probably two key points I want to make. One is that we're stewards. And we're looking at that passage, and I'm going to come on to the second one in a minute. All that we have belongs to God. And one of the verses it says in the scriptures, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget that everything I have belongs to God. It's a very simple principle, but once we begin to grasp it, it changes us from being owners to being stewards. And that changes everything. You know, somebody came to our house, well, it depends which room, actually, and started rearranging things and started repainting it. It'd be like, what are you doing? This is our house. You can't do that. It kind of goes against our normal sense of good value and what's normal. But we do the same when it comes to God. God is saying, everything you have belongs to him. Sometimes when you're in church, I'm not going to particularly talk about this, but we talk about something called tithing, which is like giving 10% of what we have to God I don't know about you but sometimes when I talk about it and I think about it it's like I'm giving God this is what belongs to you God 10% no 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 everything belongs to God everything belongs to God I just happen to be giving him 10% back and again it's very very simple but it's quite crucial as we kind of begin this kind of bit of this series on money that everything belongs to God life is an exercise in stewardship not just money, our talents, our gifts, that we're focusing on money in relation to this series. It all belongs to God. One of our first thoughts that we get up in the day should be, and it's not my first thought, to be honest, but I'm challenged by it, is today, this is the day the Lord has made, is a verse in the Bible. This whole day, any money, any possessions, any breath, any life I have in this day belongs to God. How am I going to steward it? What's it going to look like? And so as we want to grow in this area and want to grow in it as a community, we've got to remind ourselves that we are stewards. And I've got some questions out there. You might want to take a picture and maybe I'll put it up later because I haven't got much time just to unpack it. But when you talk about these things, as a great principle, as a great idea, verses that we're very familiar with, but what is it going to look like in our lives? Secondly, I'm not going to do this. I've got something to come and read, but I'm not going to do it just because I'm aware of time and generosity. So we're called to be stewards and we're called to be generous. And um, I'm not going to read through it, but if you read through 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 15, maybe take it away and, and read it um, over your meal. But as you read that passage, the bottom line, if I was just going to crunch it down to one sentence, is we have this invitation to be generous. And as followers of Jesus, the challenge should be, how can we be generous? And like I said, this sometimes goes right against me because I kind of have this mentality, this poverty mentality that I'm often trying to hold on to things. I'm trying to think about how 
Can I be generous? Again, there's just numerous verses uh, in the Bible. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Wow. We are called to be generous. And just a, kind of a few kind of bullet points in relation to that. I was just reflecting and mulling over this. Generosity is more than an act. It's a way of life. You know, sometimes I just think, oh, I'm going to be generous today. Maybe it's just me. I kind of just feel generous. If I've been given a whole load of money, I'm more generous. And, uh, but it's a, it's, it's a call to lifestyle. Follow Jesus is a call to lifestyle, not just occasional acts. And this applies to this area as well. It's a lifestyle. Generosity is more than just about money. It's an attitude of the heart. I've learned this over time, even with my kind of, you picked up my kind of zigzaggy journey when it comes to finances, whatever. Just because you have lots of money does not mean you're generous. Actually, some of the figures show that poor people are more likely to give as a percentage of their income than richer people. It's an attitude of the heart. And that's why it's important. God always loves to speak right into our hearts. What's he saying to you? What's he saying to me? As a church, we want to be stewards. As a church, we want to be a generous community. It's more than just kind of responding to the building fund or, um, you know, work overseas. Yeah, we, we want that. But ultimately, we want that to come from a generous heart. We want to be generous people. What does that look like? I don't know. For different ones of us, it'd be different people. But I heard a quote by a lady called Mother Teresa, and he says, um, if you can't feed 100 people, then feed one. And I thought that kind of summarized it up. Sometimes when we think about generosity, it's like, well, there's just a massive need, you know, this big thing's happening in, across the world. Or, I can't even remember the figure, I should know for Nigel. You know, this is how much money we, we need just to see this building fund. And you can just look and think, oh, that's, that's just too big, you know, my things are dropping in the ocean. No, no. We want to, we're speaking into our heart. We want to create opportunities for us to be generous. What does it look like? It might just be putting a, a pound aside for something. It might be a larger amount. It, it, it varies. For each one of us, it looks different. But the challenge to myself, and the particular challenge to myself, and my challenge to you guys is, what does generosity look like? Where can we start? How is God calling us to be more generous? So I'm just going to do a prayer because I'm aware of just time and I'm going to hand over to Joe. But it's a great opportunity. Now that, yeah, let me just pray before I talk more. <laughs> God, I just thank you that you are the great giver and we can never outgive you. Thank you, Lord, for life. Thank you for breath. I can stand up here. Thank you for all that I have, Lord, the clothes I even just have on my back, Lord. Help me to grow, Lord, in thankfulness. And I pray, Lord, as a church, that you would grow us, Lord. You would speak into our fears and you would bring transformation. I pray that you would release our hearts, God. I pray that we would be a heart that are just known as being stewards, God. That we realize all that we have is from you. That we'd be so thankful for that, Lord, and be so generous in how we respond. Come and meet as we pray.